side, this idea that we started off yesterday, which is really going back to the Pasuk and answering those original three questions. Why does it start off in singular, end off in plural? Why does it start off in third person, end off in second person? And why the strange placing of the word Mikem? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, were you here on the south? Mm-hmm. So you learned this, Maya. Okay. Good. Okay, so you're going to have a nice review. I hope you're not too lost because it came in the middle. Okay, amazing. Um, all right, page 26. Uh-huh. In the middle, right? Behind it. As we explained, or are we at the top? Behine. 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 Okay. So Behine, now, Korbon Zeh, this sacrifice, Shetakrivu Atem, which is the end of the Pasuk that you need to bring, Humina Benema, Mina Bakam, Mina Tson, comes from the different types of animals. Masheen Ken Adam Kiakriv, which is not the case in the beginning of the verse, which is speaking about the man when he brings close, because in that case, the sacrifice is from you. So the beginning of the verse, Hashem says, you are the sacrifice. I want to bring you close. I'm inspiring you. But then when we respond with our sacrifice, we're bringing an animal. Why? Because we need to bring our animal soul on board. The Hainu, and this means, as we explained in chapter 1, that in each of us, we have two complete, whole, separate souls, that of the godly soul and that of the animal soul. Now, the Indian Adam Kiakriv. So when we're trying to understand this verse, what does it mean when man, when man will bring close, when God will inspire us? This is referring to the inspiration that comes from above. Hanimshach Lamala, which is drawn down from above. La'ur to awaken. nefesh Adam Shalamata. And to bring close the soul of man as it is below in this world. This awakening. This is very important. It only is received by the godly soul. Why? Because it's a portion of God above. It's mirroring Hashem. I was thinking, I was trying to think of an, of an example of this. I don't know if this is a great example, but it just came up also in today's Tanya. There's really a lot of correlations going on in what we're learning now in the Tanya. If you would want to give an ant a hug, can you give an ant a hug? No. No. You want to give also a giraffe a hug. Can you give a giraffe a hug? Yes. Yeah. You can like hug one of its little legs, but you can't no. hug it, right? So when are you able to actually hug something when it's made in the same form as you, right? Two arms, two legs. And so we speak, you know, we speak about this, the time speaks about today, what is it to hug Hashem, even to kiss Hashem? What does that mean? How do we get close to Hashem? We can get close to Hashem because we're made in the same image as Him, right? And who's made in the same image as Hashem? The godly soul. So when Hashem inspires, he inspires, he shines in a way that the godly soul is able to receive because they mirror each other. So able to, so to speak, hug and unite in that way. But when Hashem inspires, the, the animal soul is a completely different makeup. And it's not speaking to the animal soul. Again, we said the only person who's able to speak to the animal soul is us. Is our godly soul, but not Hashem and not anybody outside. Shehu nikra, ner, havaya, nishmas adam. We learned this, uh, this verse in um, Hanukkah Mimer, that the candle of Hashem is the soul of man. The light of Hashem is reflected in the soul of man. They're made in the same image. Adam. Adam This is the idea of the first man that Hashem said in Boratius, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. So we see from this verse that the divine soul that resembles Hashem is also called Adam. When Hashem is invested in the tenth spirit, he is referred to as Adam on high, Adam Halyon, and the divine soul is referred to as Adam Achton, Adam below, here in this world. And remember at the beginning, beginning we spoke about the four different terms that we use to describe the human being, right? 
Adam, Ish, Enosh, and Gever. And Adam is referring to both the male and the female. It says, let us make, uh, it, says, and they, and it says actually in the Pasuk, and they were called Adam, we missed that, and they were called Adam, Adam and Chav are actually called Adam. It means human being, it means the highest form of the human being, which is represented by the godly soul, which is made in the image of Hashem as he expresses himself in the spiritual worlds. Since the divine soul is essentially divine and is called Adam, just as Hashem is called Adam, therefore it can receive this awakening directly from above, known as the Sarusa de la So it's a vessel to receive the light, because they match, right? In order for a, for, a, for a light to actually be received by the vessel, they need to be made of the same stuff in some context. They need to be fitting and matching. The Yeshba and the divine soul has within her avativis, a natural love, mitzad sharsha, from its source, umakor and the original place where it was taken from, rakshahim teres. But it is only that when it comes down into the body, it gets concealed. So the godly soul has a natural tendency to love Hashem. We don't feel it in an expressed way once it gets manifest in our body. But And we need to extract this natural love from the concealed to the revealed. Okay, and therefore, through certain revelations, the Hashem inspiring us, this love gets extracted from being in a concealed state to being revealed, to experience a nullification to Hashem, like a candle is nullified before a torch. Like they just become one thing. When you take a little candle and you hold it up to a bonfire, it just becomes consumed and one within the bonfire, right? So what is the Sisarusa de la'ela? What's going on when we speak about Sisarusa de la'ela practically? What's going on is that we are, our godly soul is in a constant state of love for Hashem. It's natural. It's just the way that it is. But in our day-to-day lives, we don't experience that love. So the Sisarusa de la'ela comes. It inspires us. Suddenly, we feel a love for Hashem. Who is loving Hashem? It's the godly soul. That concealed love was brought forth, and now we actually experience it in our heart and in our mind in a revealed way. When a lit candle is placed before a burning torch, its light is not noticeable as anything separate. So too, when the love of Hashem is revealed in the divine soul, it feels Hashem so strongly that it doesn't feel as anything separate. Aval, however, this is not the case with the animal soul. That it descended already so low that it's included, it's made up of good and bad. It's put into the category of Tipat Noga, right? It's not just Kadusha. Ruba Kakularav, and unfortunately, its majority is actually bad. We can't say the same thing. We can't say that it has this natural love of Hashem, that's, that it's enough to just get an inspiration from on high to reveal it. And therefore, even if an awakening from above is drawn down onto us, this does not have any connection or impact on our physical body and on our animal soul because it's just made of different stuff. It needs to be spoken to in a different language. Because although the spirit of man, which ascends from above, despite all of this, as it descends down here, it's an animal. So even though it's very, very high in its original source, the way that it exists down here is in a state of an animal. It doesn't understand godliness. And even though in its source it loves Hashem, it's not enough for Hashem to just reveal his life to the animal soul to bring forth this love. It takes a lot more work than that. If it was that easy, then all we would need as an inspiration would be changed people. Ella, instead, Shazel Avaida Sa'adam Dafka. 
This is the work of man. This is where the hard work comes in. Levare and Afshabah means to bring clarity to his animal soul, to refine his animal soul, and to redirect the passions of the animal soul towards Hashem. The Nikra, and that's why somebody who does this, who does the hard work, is called Oved Elokim. He is called somebody who serves God. We've, we've learned this term Oved Elokim before. And I told you, it's just an interesting side point that I, I find very interesting about Rus. You know the story of Rus and Boaz? Mm-hmm. Rus had a son. Rus, um, Rus was intimate with Boaz one night on their wedding night, and then he died that night, according to most opinions. And so they didn't know what to name the son that was born because Rus had already lost now two husbands. So she didn't know she should name it after the first husband or the second husband. Who was the first husband? Her first husband was Elimelech's two sons. What were their names? I'm not remembering now. I'll tell you on Shavuos. On Shavuos? Yeah. What were their names? Okay, I don't remember. But one of them married Rus and one of them married Orpah. The two sons of Elimelech and Nomi. And so she, on the one hand, she wanted to honor her mother-in-law, who had, you know, and name after her mother-in-law's son, her first husband. On the other hand, she wanted to name after her second husband, Boaz, the father of the child. And so basically, the child just didn't have a name for a very, very long time until the maidservants just started to call him Oved. Why? Because Oved Olokim. Because he's a man who says, he's going to be a man who serves God. So they called him Oved. His name was Oved. And he is the father of Yishai, who is the father of King David. So, just an interesting side point. Maybe off topic, but why do we read the Megillah from Shavuos? Why not? So, a few reasons. What's I'm remembering right now, um, it deals with the harvest season. It's the whole story that she went out during the harvest season together, and Shavuos is celebrating the new harvest. Um, I think that King David either was born or died, or both on Shavuos. Both. both. And she is the grandmother, great grandmother of King David. And there are probably more reasons that I am just not, that are just not coming to mind right now. Mashiach. Mashiach, right, but like the wash of us. I don't know. There's pro- there probably is a reason, but I'm just not. Um, but that, that's some of the reasons. In Chabad, it's interesting. I don't think that they read Megillus Rus out loud, although in Ashkenazi shows they do. But we say Megillus Rus, I think. In the, at, at night, we stay up all night and say Torah, it's part of the book that I'm also forgetting the name. It's one of the hardest. Let's first get to like Boimeh. Say again? It's one of the harvest festivals. Right, exactly. It's celebrating it's a festival celebrating the harvest and it happened, the story happened during the harvest. Um, okay, so Kmar Oret Vudin. So Oved Elokim actually has two interpretations. One, to Oved La'avod means to work, to serve. But Oved also comes from the word Ibud Orot, which means to tan leather. Or, Ayin Vavresh means leather or skin. And Ibud Orot is the, is the process of tanning leather, which is a very, very difficult, stinky, arduous process. And um, it's kind of representative of the process that's difficult and hard um, that is necessary to refine our animal soul. It's not clean and pretty like inspiring the godly soul. It takes going down into the mud and dealing with the challenges that come with it. Shema'abed otan umatakman. That's you process and you fix the skin, right? So the word oved elokim has these two ideas. That we serve Hashem. What does it mean really to serve Hashem? To bring our animal soul into the picture to serve Hashem. And that process is also, in, we see that in this idea of orot ivudin, tanning leather, which is a very, very difficult process. So physical animal skins require a labor-intensive process to transform them into quality leather or parchment. I think today they probably use machines. But in the olden days, you had to do everything by hand. 
So too, the animal soul needs a labor-intensive process to teach it about Hashem and inspire it to have a real feeling of love for Hashem. So it's just not enough to get inspired by other people. It's not enough to wait for an inspiration from above or for an eight-track song for an auspicious time like Shabbat or Chag. To really serve Hashem, it takes the day-to-day labor of bringing our animal soul on board, which is hard work. And that's why somebody who does this, who takes its service of Hashem seriously, is called an Oved Elohim, one who serves God. Ukamama Razal, as our sages say, this is the... Gemara, this is Lila's Gemara. Mm-hmm. About the angel, which is appointed over pregnancy, whose name is Lila, apparently. Oh. I really learned something new there. That's very cool. Sheshoel, which asks, Tipazu this drop, what is going to be with it? And then it asks, is it going to be strong? Is it going to be weak? Is it going to be rich? Is it going to be poor? The Elu, but it does not say Tzadik or It does not tell us whether or not it's going to be a righteous person or an evil person, because that Hashem cannot determine. That's up to us. We see from this that for a person to come to truly serve Hashem is dependent on his own choice and hard work, not on revelations from above. The zeu ki This is what it means when you will bring close from among you, when he will bring close from among you. Klomar, l'shon mikem. When we're speaking about Mikem from among you, it's only referring to the godly soul. When Hashem brings us close by shining his light onto us, it's only affecting the godly soul. Aval, however, Korban Chem, when you bring your sacrifices at the end, it comes from the different types of animals. Which refers to bringing a clarity to the animal soul and the way we do that, the process we go about that, is by bending the animal soul, reining it in, and then transforming it, redirecting its passions to Hashem. How do we do this? Through contemplating on the greatness of Hashem, each one according to how much his mind is able to handle and is able to comprehend. To give birth from this, a very strong love, in the animal soul as well. So the, the real job of serving Hashem is to love Hashem with both of our souls and that we should get to the point where our animal soul wants to serve Hashem, desires Hashem, and loves Hashem. And it says Ava Aza, that it's a powerful love. And the reason it's such a powerful love is because the animal soul is an animal. It's strong, it's powerful, and it's loud. So when we take those tendencies and we direct them towards Hashem, it gives birth to a very strong, powerful, and loud love of Hashem that the godly soul cannot achieve because the godly soul is very quiet and it's very deep. And so when we do this, the love of Hashem is very powerful. However, initially, you first need to, and before you can actually transform the animal soul to love Hashem and redirect its passions towards Hashem, you first need to have iskafia, you need to rein it in, with the three garments of the soul, machshava, dibor, o the thought, the speech and the action, the sur setov, by staying away from evil and doing good. Have you guys learned about the three garments of the soul? The we've thought, the speech, the action? We've touched on it, but we've never gone like in depth. Really. Okay, so maybe I'll, I'll speak about it for a minute. So it's, the altar is giving us an order here. First we start off with this kafia. What does iskafia mean? Reining it in, not giving in to the temptations of the animal soul and training it to do good things. And once you do that enough, you're going to get to the level of ishapcha, 
which means that your animal soul is serving Hashem with its passion. It's passionate about Hashem. It's excited about Hashem. Basically, it's been transformed. It's become a carbon for Hashem. So there is the idea that the, the soul is the soul in its essence, what makes up the soul, the five levels of the soul, the nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaya, echida. And that is... Um, the level that your soul is sourced from depends on what level it stopped on its way down to coming down into our bodies. So basically all of the souls start off in that silot and then they take a journey down through all the worlds and all the spherot and levels within each world and then it comes down into our physical body. But each one of us on that journey, each one of our souls rests somewhere and it gets in, impacted by the level where it stops off. So a very, very lofty soul will be on a level where it started off in that silot like Moshe Rabbeinu. But then lower souls will be influenced by, for example, the world of Yetzirah, or even the world of Asiyah Ruchani. So the source of our souls, of the Nefesh Ruch Neshama Chai of our souls, um, is different, each one of us, depending on how it came down. And it's not up to us to decide, it's not up to our parents to decide what, what type of soul it's going to get. Now, many, many stories of very, very simple people having very, very holy souls. And very, very holy people, unfortunately, having very, very evil souls like um, Yeshaya's daughter married the king Yeshaya's daughter married what? which king? oh my gosh my memory today um, there was a very famous king King Chizkiyo, and he got very 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 ill he was on his deathbed and the prophet at the time was Yeshaya and he called Yeshaya over and Yeshaya told him the reason why you are dying is because you have not being fulfilling one of the mitzvahs, which is pru or revu, that you should have children. He never married. And Yechezkel answered, well, I know with Ruach HaKodesh that I, if I get married, the child I'm going to bear, the children I'm going to have are going to be evil. And I don't want to bring evil children into the world. And Yeshaya said, that's not up to you to decide, that's up to God. And so he said, I'm going to give you my daughter. Obviously, the daughter of Yeshaya Hanavi was very, very holy, and he married, uh, she married King Yechezkel. And they had two sons, I don't remember the second name of the second one, but the oldest was Menashe, who was one of the most evil kings that ever existed in the history of the Jewish people. He was a very, 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 very evil man. And it says that already in the womb he was evil. Like, he started off that way. And although, obviously, nothing's, nothing is determined and people can overcome their natures, he already had a very evil nature from, from, from conception. And so even very, very holy people can have very, very low souls. And very, very low people can have very holy souls. There are many stories like that as well. Um, and, like, for example, the story of Shimshon, Hagibor's parents. I don't know if they were low, but they were very simple people. And then an angel appeared to them, told them they're going to have a son, Shimshon. So that's about, that's, that's the makeup of the, of the spiritual side of the soul. Then there's what's called the Levushim. The Levushim are our thought, speech, and action. And those are a little bit determined, uh, depending on the intentions of the parents when the child was conceived, etc. Um, but we can always change that and work on that. And that, that which is, is in our control is what's called the Levushim, the garments. The reason it's called garments is because unlike your soul, you can't just change souls every morning and be like, I want that one, I want that one. But garments you can take off, you can put on, right? And so too, our thought, speech, and action, we're able to change them. Um, and that's why they're called the garments of the soul. So that's just a, that's just a little side point. Um, and the garments of the soul are the thought, speech, and action, the way that the soul expresses itself outward into the world, outside of the body just as the way we express ourselves is by the clothing that we put on. So a king expresses his kingship by wearing royal clothing, and a worker expresses his position and his job by the clothing that he wears. And the job of serving Hashem 
is a two-step process. What does it mean to bring the animal soul on board? It's two steps. The first one is a scafia, to take the thoughts and the speech and the action of the animal soul and to refine them and to not give into the temptations to think, speak, and act in ways that are against Hashem and to rein it in, to stop doing the bad things and to stop practicing doing the good things that bring us closer to Hashem. And then step number two is this hapcha, when we actually achieve that and we train our animal soul to avoid giving into its temptations and to actively seek out opportunities to serve Hashem, then this hapcha, then the, it, the love and the passion of the animal soul will be directed toward Hashem. It will be transformed. It will become a new being. It will become a korban Hashem. That's step number two, which is this hapcha. So now we can explain the meaning of, this is just a quick summary, so I'll read through it. I'll catch up on your notes. When an Adam will offer from among you. This is a reference, and you might want to follow because this is going back to the beginning now. This is a reference to Hashem as he expresses himself in the ten spheres. These ten spheres are comprised of three intellectual aspects and seven emotional aspects, corresponding to the ten soul powers of a person. The purpose of these ten spheres are for Hashem to limit his revelation to a system compatible with how people operate so that they may receive his revelation properly. Since these ten spheres correspond to the makeup of a person, they are called Adam. If there comes an awakening from above, I feel like something got cut off here. Yeah, a bunch got cut off. Oh, 30, 32. Never mind. Okay, we'll read the ending here. If there comes an awakening from above that shines into the person, why does it only affect the divine soul? Why doesn't it also awaken the animal soul? The divine soul has a hidden natural love and fear for Hashem that simply needs to be revealed. Revealing this hidden love is accomplished through the, the awakening from above. However, the animal soul does not possess a hidden love. Actually, it is very coarse and materialistic in its current state and distant from excitement for Hashem. This is why the person himself needs to put in his work to transform the coarse nature of the animal soul and teach it to love and fear Hashem. It's 32, yeah, it, was, it wasn't put in. This process is similar to making parchment or leather. One takes a coarse animal hide and works to process it into something refined that is then used to make something beautiful like a Sefer Torah. And it says about Hanoch. Have you guys heard about Hanoch? He was a great, great, great grandson of Adam, of Adam, the first man. It says that he was very holy and his job was Tofer Minhalin. He used to make shoes. So he used to take leather to the point, refine it to the point that it could become useful for man. He invented this concept called shoes. And it says that he, he died earlier, like 300 and something years instead of 1,000 oh, something just years. 300 yeah, he was very young, he was a little boy. <laughs> and the reason is because he was so holy that Hashem was afraid he would get corrupt and Hashem took his life early, um, early ish. <laughs> um, but it says about him clearly in the Torah that he was Tofer Min Halim, he would make, he would make shoes, which represents in this idea here that he would, um, he would take the physicality and refine it to such a point that it had a use in serving Hashem. Take an animal heart, which is so coarse and useless seemingly, and transform it and put in the difficult work of turning it into shoes that can help people get from place to place and, and, and you know, um, get a lot further than if they didn't have them. So second one needs to contemplate the greatness of Hashem during prayer to create love and fear for Hashem and his animal soul. That is the level of ishapcha that happens once you've already tamed the animal and um, tamed it and reined it in. So we have a few more minutes. I wanted to speak a little bit about this idea. This idea is going to be continued in the mind. The next chapter, as we discussed in the little summary at the beginning, is going to discuss that each one of us have different types of animal souls. And that's why there are different types of korbanot, corresponding to the different types of animal souls. And each one of us needs to know the tendencies and the natures of each one of our animal souls so that we can work with it, so we can speak its language, and so we can transform it, so that we will, um, that we will get to tomorrow. But 
I was just thinking like, this is a nice idea, right? Transform your animal soul, put the work in when you have inspiration. What does that look like? And so I was just thinking for myself a little bit and I'm gonna just speak now. Um, but I want you guys while I'm talking to think for yourselves. What does that mean that when you get inspired you need to put the hard work in to bring your animal soul on board? Like, what does that mean? It's a nice idea. What does that look like practically in your life? Because again, this is an Avaita This is supposed to be very, very practical. And this is a very basic premise of the philosophy of Chabad Hasidus, which is that you need to put the hard work in yourself. You can't wait for your Rebbe to come and inspire you and change you as a person. You need to change yourself. So I was just thinking that you guys come. Every year, girls come. They come to my note, right? And come with your flaws. Um, and obviously, this process has played out, even if you don't come to my note, right? It's relevant for me as well. But um, you come with your flaws. You come with, you know, as a person you are, you come to my note, you start getting inspired, right? You're learning every day. Torah is very inspiring, which we're going to speak about in the later chapters, about how Torah is actually a Nisrosa de la and speaks to our godly soul. Um, so we're getting excited and we're getting inspired to serve Hashem, to take certain things on. But we've got to remember that this inspiration is very much an inspiration of the godly soul, which on the one hand is exciting because it's very powerful when the godly soul gets inspired and reveal this love that was hidden, hidden away. But at the same time, not that this is not who you really are, but it's not all of who you really are. And so if you don't actually go back and, and look at that person who showed up here, right, with all their flaws and all the challenges and speak to that person as well. You start to just think, oh, I'm never going to be like that again because now I'm excited about God. Now I'm inspired. Now I'm learning Torah. Now I have all these fabulous teachers. Um, that part of you is going to creep up again. It's not, you can push it away temporarily, but at some point the inspiration is going to leave and you're going to be left with that. And you're going to be very surprised. I, 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 again, I've had that experience. I've mentioned this before, that when I was in seminary, I was on this complete high. I was learning Chassidus for the first time. I was so excited, so inspired. I was doubling every morning for like, with, a lot of Kavana, and then I went home for Pesach. I was going to go home, I went to a Pesach program, and I was exactly the same person as, when, as I was before seminary, and I was completely shocked. I was like, how is this possible? I thought I was a changed person, and like, no, I was way back to the original person that I was, and I was very, I was quite disturbed by that. Um, but then I had kind of that realization that all that inspiration, that was my, that was my godly soul. That was, that was a love of my godly soul that was being brought forward. That's amazing. But I hadn't put the work in to actually change my habits, to actually look at the parts of myself that weren't so great, that were animalistic, that, you know, that were addictive or whatever you can call it, and, and speak to that part of myself and convince that part of myself that serving God is good, that serving God is my, in my best interest, that I'm excited about serving God, that learning Torah is the best thing for me, and that prayer um, you know, changes my day. So... What, what does it look like? It looks different for every person, but in general, when you get inspired, what does that mean? You got inspired, now you need to speak to your animal soul. It means you need to speak its language. So what, what does it mean to speak the language of the animal soul? So we spoke a little bit, we had that graphic example. Say again? Passion. Passion, right? You need to get it excited. How do you get your animal soul excited? How do you get an animal excited, right? We said if you want to take a wild horse and convince it to take you every single day to and from work, it's not going to help to sit the horse down and start explaining the reason why you need to go to work and what you're going to do with the money. It doesn't care. What are you going to do? You're going to give it carrots, you're going to give it some sticks, and you're going to train it to take you to and from work. You need to speak its language in order to get it to do what you want it to do. So when we get excited about God because we learned Torah or because we had an inspiration, because it was Shabbat, it was an auspicious day, it was a Yom Tov, it was a holiday, that's our godly soul getting excited. We need to take that excitement and look at ourselves as a whole person and say, that part of me, 
I don't know, that binge watches Netflix or that part of me that's scrolling all day on my phone or that part of me that is, you know, spending an hour getting all excited about the food I'm going to eat at the restaurant or that part of me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we need to take that part of ourselves and speak to it instead of just saying, oh, that's going to disappear because I'm all inspired right now. Um, although, I will, side note, the Rebbe was very into that the more Torah you learn, the more you change yourself, the more, the more you do change almost automatically. So there definitely is space and room for that as well. Um, but we can't just ignore this part of ourselves. And what does that mean? So there's a part of us that just wants, that just wants to spend the whole day on our phone, or just that, that just wants to be lazy, and that just wants comfort, and that just wants good food. And how do we take that part of ourselves and channel towards Hashem? And the answer is we need to speak its language. What does the animal soul care about? It cares about what's good for it. It cares about comfort, right? It cares about immediate gratification. It cares about good food. It cares about good entertainment. It cares about good times. It cares about being happy. So we've got to speak to the animal soul and say, you know, that food that you really love, right? You know, that comfort that you really crave, God gives you that. And you should be on good terms with God because you like the things that God gives you. And this isn't pretty, right? This isn't like, these aren't, these aren't, oh, what's the word? Inspirational moments that are exciting that you're going to write about, you know, that you're going to, that you're going to remember forever. These are very mundane conversations you need to have with yourself. And so it's hard and it's like, almost we feel like, what's the point? But it's the whole point because otherwise all that inspiration is just going to go. You speak to yourself and you say, all these things that you care about, and that's different for each and every one of us, as we're going to discuss in the next chapter, we have different leanings toward different temptations, toward different desires, depending on what sort of animal our animal soul represents. All those things that you care about, you should care about God. It's in your best selfish interest to care about God. Because if you want to be comfortable, if you don't want to be worried, you need to know that that comfort and that security, it comes from Hashem. And Hashem wants certain things from you. And it's worth it for you to be on good terms with Hashem. Right? And even things like if you want to stop doing something, right? Something that your animal soul really, really enjoys, but you know isn't in its best interest. You can say you like it in the moment, but you feel horrible the moment you finish, right? And you want to be happy. And maybe the reason you're feeling so happy is because you actually want a relationship with God as well. And when you're doing things that are against it, you are unhappy and you want to be happy. So maybe, okay, I'm, I'm going on a tangent here because each, again, each and every one of us needs to speak the language of its soul. You need to really take a look, and we're going to discuss this, I think, tomorrow. Really take a look at the makeup of your animal soul and be honest with yourself and with your flaws and, be, and not just say, oh, those are going to disappear. I'm a changed person now. I'm learning Torah every day. Um, we're going to really take a look at those parts of ourselves and convince those parts of ourselves that it's in its best interest to serve Hashem. Because when we do that, when this spiritual awakening leaves, when the inspiring classes stop inspiring us because that ends up happening at some point or when we just don't have enough time to sit in class all day the makeup of who we are has changed so that we're able to be consistent with it until the next inspiration because now the animal soul knows that it's in its best interest to serve god so it can wake up in the morning wake up early and pray with excitement because it knows its entire day is going to be different it knows that it's going to be a happier person right it knows that it's praying to the one who gives it food who gives it security who gives it housing who gives it love so i just wanted to kind of bring that down a little bit because when you just say speak to your animal soul speak the language of your animal soul take that inspiration and bring it to your animal soul what does that mean it means doing the really hard work of facing 
ourselves. And that, as we're going to see at the end of this mimer, is really the process that we see now during the time of Sverta Omer. Sverta Omer, every single day, we take a, little, a look at a little, little part of ourselves, a little expression of our emotions. And we take a look and we say, okay, how are these expressed negatively that I can stop expressing negatively? And how can I channel these emotions of love, of fear, of awe, etc., towards Hashem? And that is a process that we actually do every single day now. This is the time to do it. Um, so, and that's the end. That's the last chapter. Gonna gonna explain how we get the inspiration from Pesach. We need to bring it down in the spirit of Omer so we can then receive the next inspiration, which is the giving of the Torah on Shavuot. So we will continue chapter three tomorrow. Does anyone have any questions or comments?